0: You're listening to episode 183 of the Tennis Files podcast on the eight-step process to transform your mindset with Joey
1: Johnson.
2: Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now here's your host, Maribon Iranshad.
0: Hey, Pete. I hear that you have a cool new opportunity for new talent to get featured on your YouTube channel, which has like 44,000 plus subscribers, which is ridiculous, uh, as well as on TennisCon.
3: That's right. Well, Maribon, it's great to be with you. As you know, we both run our own summits. You got the tennis summit, which is amazing. I have TennisCon. Uh, we feature the best coaches on the planet. But this year, we had some new talent. The tennis mentor was amazing. Marissa from Ripta Tennis is great. And I want to give more coaches who have an interest in learning how to start coaching online because I think it's so important in today's environment. Be able to get on my YouTube channel and to be able to get into the TennisCon five. They're going to have to earn it. And if they do a good job, I'll send them your way.
0: Nice, nice. I would really appreciate that. New talent is always great for Tennis Summit, but um, a big question. Obviously, I'm sure everybody's uh, really wants to get started with this. So, how do they get started to take advantage of this opportunity?
3: Yeah, well, they can actually go to a website, coachtennisonline where I'm going to be showing them the ropes on how to learn how to run an online tennis business because I just think it's super important in today's environment that coaches are a little more protected than this going out there and, you know, being victims of bad weather. And, you know, this year showed us all how, how vulnerable we can be. And I think it's super important to get online. So that's the big reason why I'm also doing this. So they can go to coachtennisonline.com to sign up and we'll take it from there. Hey
0: everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast this is Mirabon. And I'm back again with another interview for you. And this one is on transforming your mindset. And so we have Joey Johnson on this show today. And Joey is a mindset development expert who wrote a book called Worthy to Win, which indeed outlines an eight-step mental training process to help people achieve a breakthrough in their performance. And that's exactly what I want you all to achieve, or at least to get on the road to achieving uh, a breakthrough. Obviously, that always feels good. That's what we're striving for in life, you know, to keep improving, improving a little at a time. And then all of a sudden that will culminate in a big breakthrough for you uh, most of the time. And so Joey has a great website as well with all his content and trainings and so forth at worthytowin.com. has worked with many uh, many athletes from many different facets, uh, many different sports, um, from sectional to national and world-ranked athletes over a 20-year period, including ATP and WTA professionals. He also is a very good player in his own right. He played Division One tennis at Ole Miss University and coached at a Division One program. And yeah, so it's it's going to be, I think, a great one for you. The mental game is obviously extremely important and not Practiced enough. Uh, we often concentrate more on our technique or our strategy, but we need the complete package. And without the proper mindset, you will not be able to achieve your true potential. So, with that, I will kick it off to the interview. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Joey Johnson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Falls Podcast. I'm here. With Joey Johnson, a uh, mindset expert or a mindset development expert, I should say, and you know, it's really a pleasure to have Joey on because I I get a ton of questions about the mental game, about individuals getting nervous, about them not being able to perform to their potential, and so it's it's really a you know undervalued area and underpracticed, I think. So that's why we have Joey here today to to uh, To help us understand how we can uh, transform our mindset, so Joey, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Really appreciate your time.
2: Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, thanks for asking me. It's uh, it's always fun to talk about something that I'm passionate about, and, and that you are as well, and hopefully the the listeners. So, yeah, great to be here.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it is uh, great to have you on. And shout out to uh, Matt Miller for connecting us. Um. So yeah, I mean, I I guess I'll just dive right in. Um. I mean, first off, why do you think tennis players that know they can achieve more and have that desire to to do so ultimately are not able to reach their potential?
2: Well, I I think that um. You know, when I when I describe it, in fact, in my I wrote a book some years ago called Worthy to Win, and and in the opening introduction of it, I talk about this thing I call the worthiness dilemma, and. One of the opening sentences is, you know, the greatest tragedy, tra- uh, tragedy in the life of a high level performer is, um, is to not reach their goal, their goals and aspirations and dreams, you know, and so, and, and really ultimately to not reach their potential, you know, wh- whatever that is mm-hmm. for that person. And, and so I think that um, when you really look at the, the four, for athletics, at least the four areas of skill development, which is the technical which is in tennis, of course, all your ball striking skills. And then there's the tactical, which is your capacity to structure plays, patterns and tactics, and, you know, strategy on court. Then you have your physical, which is speed, strength, agility, you know, endurance, all those things. Then you have your mental, emotional skills. So when, when the way I look at it is, you know, you have to be getting better at all of those. I call those the four pillars simultaneously. And the reason why I think I believe people underperform is because um Not only do they perhaps not focus on all four areas, and, like you said, undervalued the mental training often is undervalued and i I think there's different reasons for that, maybe one is which it's because it 's not tangible in the sense what you know like especially with junior tennis players, they just want to go hit balls, you know they want to go out and physically do something and mm-hmm. you know and and be engaged in in you know in, in a physical activity, which is um obviously important and understandable but I think a lot of times they don't realize how important their, the, the power of their mind, is, you know, I mean, I guess it's never too late, but they might, I mean, I've had tour players I've worked with who they really kind of start really getting into it, you know, after they've been out there for you know a few years and they've hit enough roadblocks where they're like, wait a minute, there's something here. You know, I know there's something in my game that perhaps has a mental aspect to it that i just haven't developed you know and and so it's i the way the way i see it is the younger you can get players engaged in all four areas and usually the first three the the, the technical the tactical and the um and the physical are are happening you know i'm not saying they're always happening you know at the highest level but they're happening mm-hmm. and oftentimes the mental emotional gets kind of pushed off to the side you know players read a book they they they, they, you know, hopefully if they have a coach who does talk about it with them at times, but most coaches are so busy in the other three quadrants that they don't really spend adequate time and it gets kind of left, you know, I always say to players, you want to have, you want your mental game to become your most important weapon. Mm-hmm. And I try to get, I try to, I try to plant that idea in their mind, you know, like, what, Oh, that's an interesting concept for most players. They'll be thinking, is it my weapon? You know I mean? And a lot of them would say, no, it's not.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just so important because I think ultimately, uh, you know, even if you have similar abilities, if, if somebody doesn't have the belief that they can perform up to their potential or that they can uh, actually even beat somebody, then they're not going to be able to to win. So uh, uh, I think it's, it's just such a crucial area for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, how does was It's a very broad question, but how does one ultimately... Shift their mindset and their thinking uh, to be able to improve their performance, what are some steps that uh, that they need to take to do this?
2: Well, I think the first one is that they have to recognize you know that it's important like they just have to become aware of the fact that this is a part of my game that needs to be attended to you know and you know for junior tennis players that often comes from a parent or a coach and that's who you, you know obviously calls me I don't get very many calls from junior tennis players saying, I don't really want to work on my mental game. Yeah, (laughs) it comes from, it comes from their coach or their parents. And um, so they need to become aware of the fact that it's, it's really important. And um, um, then from there, it's like, you know, finding a process or a program that they that they think has quality information. And then staying true to it, meaning that they're consistent with it, you know, because it's not a quick fix. I mean, this is another thing. A lot of times my phone rings when someone is like just underperforming and they get to this point where they're just there's a crisis kind of in their mind of confidence, you know, and and at that point, they're pretty impatient about getting the answer. A lot of times that they want something pretty quickly, you know, and it's kind of like with fitness, you know, you don't go to a fitness coach and go, I need to be really fast by next Thursday. You know, <laughs> that's not how it works. And it's the same thing with your mental game. I mean, you have to really be diligent, patient and structured. So I've tried to create a really solid structure to build fundamental and mental and emotional skills. Minds, I call mindset skills.
0: So uh, you mentioned that, you know, one of the first steps is you need to find a program that actually works. Like what are some telltale signs that, you know, that, that program does actually work when somebody encounters a program like that?
2: Well, I think that's a good question. You know, I mean, I think that getting referrals, talking to people who have worked with gone through the program or worked with that person is obviously one easy, you know, way to kind of get some indication of the capacity or ability or value of that program or, or training, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that that's, that's important. Um, Asking, you also need to kind of know what you think you need. You know, I th- I have like on my website I have this thing called the Mental IQ Test that people mm-hmm. can take. There's no cost, and it gives it it sends a report to me, and it, it's like a it gives them a quick, you know, assessment of what might be some of the holes in their mental game, if you will, mm-hmm. and and then I'll usually follow up with some sort of an email or conversation saying, you know, this is what from the assessment you took. This is what I see, and this would be some suggestions to start with. And it's really knowing what do I need to work on. I mean, mental skills training has lots of different skills in in different areas. You know, there's lots of different things, but so just getting into any of it is a good thing. But if you can be even more targeted and specific, that might be the best way to get more, to get results, you know, in the near term, rather than really kind of beating around the bush for a while. Targeted training is what we're Mm -hmm. talking about.
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, you know, you mentioned that uh, that mental IQ test, which everybody should uh, check out, uh, and we'll link to that test in the show notes below, but you mentioned some holes in, in people's, I guess, mental game. So what are like one or two of the biggest uh, holes that that you often encounter in looking at those uh, those tests?
2: Well, I think one of the most obvious holes is that people are very outcome-focused, you know, just mm-hmm. by nature. I mean, competitors want results, and there's, that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, but a lot of the um i mean if you look at junior tennis the whole concept at least here in the in, in the US is built around tournament play right it's like play tournaments get points get a ranking earn a scholarship right it's mm-hmm. and so there's there's and there's a place for that obviously competing is fun you know for especially for junior tennis players they love competing and that's a very important but sometimes what happens is that they get so focused on the results that they don't um really dedicate themselves enough to what I would call quality skill development. Mm -hmm. And that's, so that's, that's one hole, you know, is that you have to be able to recognize that outcome isn't the biggest focus. How many players get in matches and start, you know, after they maybe have a tough loss would say, I thought I was, I was just too focused on the score. I think the percentage would be pretty high usually. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know when you have an off day. I've had that issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I know I did, and um, so that's that's an obvious one. Um, another whole I think is misconceptions about pressure itself. You know, I, I have one whole training I dedicate to understanding. I call there's three levels of pressure, and you know, there's the kind of the pre-match, obvious kind of pre-match nerves and physical stress you feel and then there's also these underlying levels of pressure which would be how the person is thinking about winning and losing most of this is ahead of time by the way before the event even starts and then the third level is how the person is going to react to the consequences of winning or losing meaning how they internalize what's going to happen the consequences you know and now with there there being so much more attention to de- um, specific Outcomes like the UTR system, which I, I love the UTR system. I think there's a lot of positives, but it has to be controlled in the minds of the players, you know, especially with kids. They end up becoming so um, compelled to compare themselves, but even before matches to their opponents, that they're they're walking into a lot of matches with all these preconceived notions that really aren't necessarily really helping them. And sometimes they're hurting them.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, what are some ways that we can become more process base. I mean, I'll, well, before that, I'll tell you a little story, which I've said a couple times on the podcast, but my very first college tennis match in Cornell, uh, you know, I was playing actually somebody who I'd played in my section, my home section in the Mid-Atlantic. And then uh, I was up at something like 6 5 one And then my immediate thought was, wow, I, you know, it, it'll be really cool to win my first college tennis match. And then from there, you know, obviously I lost. Uh, and then the first thing that my college coach, uh, Keith Perrier told me was uh, you've got to uh, focus on the process, not the results. So that was a hard lesson to, to learn that I'm sure many of us have you know, more than once. So, you know, what are some some ways that people can become more process focused? Because it's definitely uh, harder than it is to just say,
2: I would say. <laughs> yeah way way easier said than done you know and a lot of times it's funny you say that a lot of times parents particularly will be like it's not that big deal why are you so you know they'll say to their kids why are you so um uptight about this you know i mean just go play and have fun i mean just have it you know it's so easy to say that right but when when the the player has invested so much into into what they're doing it's just so easy to fall into that and um well the answer I'll give you that that I would say is that this is where my training comes in. Worthy to win is, a, it's a competitive philosophy really. And I think that the, if the, the philosophy is applied correctly, it really, it, it, it alleviates that problem that you just asked me. Okay. Which ask me the question again, how did you word it?
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. It's was just, how do we become more process
2: based? Right. Right. So, and, and to me, this aspect of worthiness is a big part of becoming more process based and outcome-based. And so the way I would describe it is that, um, the way i describe it is that, um, the way a person sees themselves like competitors are always kind of evaluating in their mind. Am I doing well? Am I not doing well? You know, am I, do I have momentum in my game? Um, and not just in a match, but in general, they're thinking about that all the time. They're self-evaluating, you know, and it's kind of subconscious. It's just, it's always happening. And if, if they're wired to the, in the way where, um, what happens a lot of times as players get better is they, um, they start expecting more naturally, right? Cause they're mm-hmm. getting better and they know it. So they start expecting more and they start slowly, but surely giving more attention to the results and the outcome and a lot of times it happens very subtly and they it kind of sneaks up on them and all of a sudden they're kind of in a hole and they're like why am i not winning these matches you know Mm -hmm. um and so they that's why doing consistent mental training you know has to happen because it'll prevent it doesn't it doesn't mean you're not going to have some tough losses but it means that you're going to be more consistently winning the matches that you really you know are competitive with because you have the skill to deal with the mental part of it and not do what happened to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, happened to, which happened to me many times. <laughs> um, and, and even the best players in the world, I'm, I'm saying this because the best players in the world have it happen. I mean, they do. I mean, they just don't have it happen very often mm-hmm. compared to the normal, right. You get a guy who's top 20 in the world or a gal who's top 20 in the world in singles, for example, they're probably doing it less than someone who's a hundred in the world, you know? Yeah. And if you really quantify it and you know, that way, but um, let, let me get back to the worthiness part. If what happens a lot of times in the minds of competitors is that they, and a lot of this is subconscious, but they're the way they see themselves, the way they value themselves, which would be part of what I, you know, it's just part of your self image or their ego, which is their self image becomes, becomes more and more connected to the results they're having. Mm. And it it sneaks up on them and then then what happens is when they start playing matches they're playing almost with this mentality of i got to prove myself because if i can get you know x y and z done in in my results then it's going to it's going to justify all the work i put in and so they start they start kind of slowly but surely raising this pr- internal pressure that they got to kind of prove themselves through the results and and it's a constant inner battle I think and I think the better players get the more it starts to become an issue. Hmm. So when I started doing when I started doing mental training, it was with some tour players because that and that's just kind of where I started. And I, I you could totally see it with them. I mean their their living is based on you know their results, right? Yeah. And so the the pressure levels at a, at a, even a higher level than like a college or junior player. Gotcha. Um, so so, so last thing I'll say is I'm trying to get them to, in a sense, disconnect from their own personal worthiness and and how they feel about themselves from just the results. I'm trying to get them to base it on other things as well. Not just that.
0: Got it. That's the message. Got it. Got it. So a lot of players are, there's a lot on the line if they win, if they, if, I mean, if they lose, then they feel like they're just not, um, you know, as good of a, human being as they thought they were, I guess. And you know, is that kind of what a lot of players feel? Could be.
2: Yes, it could be. And, you know, I mean, I'll give you an example um, that just popped in my head, but in Agassiz's book, Open, he talks about how he talks a little bit about when he became a pro and started becoming a very well-known figure, how brutal the media was. Like he talked about like, man, you win and you're a hero, you lose and these guys are all over you, you know, and they're just, they're, they're just going after you. And, and I think that's one example, you know, and you have to kind of learn to filter that right the critics and the, the naysayers and all that and even if you're not like a world-class pro that's in the in the spotlight you still have to learn to quiet those those external voices that could be like that in your in your mind and, and the people you're around do you know what i mean
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: yeah 100 i do and, yeah
2: and so i think that again if if you, the less your worth as a person is is wrapped around or really directly connected to your results, I don't care what it is. If you're an athlete, if you're a business person, if you're whatever, the more you're able to tolerate that pressure and just kind of pull the trigger when you need to and just do it, you know, because you're not you're not basing how you feel in deep inside on just you know what your immediate ranking is or you know, how much money you're making or how many points you're earning or you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. More than that, and I think that's it's a difficult thing to do, but it's possible. And that's what I try to help players do.
0: Yeah, that that reminds me, uh, you know, a lot of times when when Federer, uh, if he loses a match, you know, he'll say something like, well, you know, there's bigger things in, than my career. And, and, you know, I feel like that eases off uh, some pressure, you know, when you have other things that you also value very highly uh, in your life. So, yeah, very, very interesting stuff there, Joey. I'd like to get into the, the eight-step process, um, and obviously, you know, for, for people who want to get in-depth training on this, and you can go to worthytowin.com and contact Joey for that, um, but we do want to get some insight there. So, I mean, the first step that you list is understanding the performer within you, and then you have a kind of a subtitle, I think, of Seven Faces of a Champion. So, I was curious if you could kind of unveil, you know, maybe a couple of these of these uh, faces of a champion that you are referring to,
2: so yeah, th- so this is the first step, which is really when you're building self awareness. You know, um this is part of emotional intelligence, by the way. That's the mm-hmm. skill that you know. This because you know how people will say you just got to become more aware of things. That's that's what they're talking about. You know, is you know, are you? I, I was talking to a coach this last week. I just started- he's for- he's down in uh, Boca, and mm-hmm. he was t- he got up to eighty in the world, and uh, he was uh, really interesting to talk to. He said, "He said, I guess one of my claims to fame is I was one of the last guys to beat Federer as a junior, when Federer was just about to age up." Nice. He goes, "I beat, I beat him. He was, he was top three in the world." And we were talking about his kind of, you know, his his experience with it. And um, ask your question one more time. Oh,
0: yeah. No worries. I was just curious about um what, uh because we we're talking about the first step of uh, the eight step process. So kind of uh, the gist of, uh, you know, understanding the performer within you and, and you know, if right. and like maybe one or two faces of a champion.
2: Yeah. So I'm going to go back to what I was saying. So he was saying I definitely could see a difference of how I was thinking when I was in Grand Slams versus like in a tour event or a challenger. Because mm. I had a lot more good wins in the lower level events than in the grand slams. Mm. And I think, I think that a part of that is it's, it's the, it's the way the player understands themselves, their own awareness, you know? Um, and so the mental person there's, there's actually seven different, we could call them mental personalities or competitive personalities. And what I want, and I, there's an assessment the players take. And usually they'll identify with two or three of them, but they'll go, that's totally how my mind works. And then I give them examples of how that thought process would come out in a match or even before a match. Sometimes we'll, we'll kind of go through scenarios and they'll say, that's exactly what I do, you know? Yeah. And I'll say, okay, so this is kind of part of how your mind is wired. And the idea here is, is to make them aware of it, you know, and I'll say each mental personality, like one of the mental personalities, um, for example is the seeker mindset which is see- seeker is someone who's naturally very motivated very driven by um results mm. they're dreamers they're dreamers they're very hard workers but they're a seeker you know they're looking for something they want something from it and and that's fine as long as it's balanced but um another one is called the controller which The controller is like someone who it's like a quarterback. You know, they're kind of a controller mentality. They want to call the shots. They want to be directly involved in. And there's a lot of a lot of CEOs of you know people that head up big organizations are kind of like that. And there's a lot of pluses, but there's also a negative side Mm. to how that mindset. Controllers can become rigid, a little closed-minded. Seekers can become you know too too focused on the future and what they're going to get from it. And you know that happens a lot in high-level sports is that they're thinking too much about what, what they need from this, you know, and rather than what they need to do to give really to develop hundred percent of their own potential. It's like, you got to get better. I don't care if you're a pro or if you're a kid or you're a college player. I mean, the, the number one objective in my opinion is you got to just get better at things. And obviously the better someone gets, the more it's fine little tuning, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's maybe thinking a little differently. It's maybe, you know, maybe stepping in on a ball a little sooner. I mean, whatever, their coach deems important, but they still have to improve, you know? And if they're not really thinking about it that way, in my opinion, they're becoming too outcome focused. Mm -hmm. So, so those mindsets really are a big part of helping players understand why I may be underperforming at a certain level. Like that, that coach telling me, I don't know what it was, but at grand slams, I just didn't have the belief. He said that to me, because I didn't have the same belief I had. I think that relates to the mental personality. You know, and how that person is viewing, you know, whether you're at Wimbledon or you're playing a tour event in Cincinnati or you're playing a challenger in um, Hamburg, Germany, you know, I mean, they're all just matches, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some some may have more prestige attached to them. But in my opinion, if the player is really has a strong mindset and their skills are strong, they're going to be able to manage the pressure to where they they get to a point where they almost convince themselves that just a match is a match you know and whether i'm playing you know on the grass here or, or you know at the french open or whatever i'm i'm still really just playing my game that's all i can control that's all i really have the capacity to to, to control out here and that's it so that's what i'm going to do and they train themselves to think like that does that make sense
0: yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's it's huge to to really understand yourself, what type of personality you are and and to uh kind of use that assessment to then improve yourself. Um yeah, for sure. And um you know, the the second step is uh game plan analysis, so uh finding your sweet spot. So I was wondering um you know what that what that entails for the individual.
2: So that gets into helping the player to understand really how to visualize mentally visualize their game plan effectively because mm. uh, you know i always try to get players to do 10 to 15 minutes of breathing and visualization every day nice that's that i think that's like a core mental routine um a lot of uh there was a there was a cool article way a few years ago a couple years ago with um bianca andrescu you know and she talked about that that's she's like that's my thing man i gotta do that right first thing in the morning and i i was like bingo you know i mean like if you can get players to do that basically taking the things our coaches are trying to get them to do, whether it's certain technical or tactical things or tactical things, you know, or if it's really even related to their movement and to visualize them every day. Um, it's one of the hardest things to do because people just forget. And, you know, it's like one of those things you just got to keep chipping at it. And if, as you do that, though, the, the power of that one thing alone over time is like, in my opinion, it's like huge. Um, So that second session is about, do you understand your game style? Do you really have a clear picture of it? Are you working on it with your coach in a very targeted way? Sometimes, you know, in, in like with juniors, they get in these academies and drill groups and they end up going out and they, I see this a lot, they'll, they'll end up hitting ground strokes for, you know, the two hour workout or whatever. And not, they're not working a lot on like transitioning or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, hitting maybe more offensive shots, serves and returns. A lot of times, you know, how was the workout? Did you hit any serves? yeah, we did like five minutes, I mean I hear the whole time, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, you gotta target your training and you and players need to communicate with coaches and coaches need to you know be attentive to those details, so i that's a lot of what that session's about.
0: Cool. Very cool. And, uh, you know, obviously great stuff, but w- what you mentioned in the beginning uh, particularly interested me in regards to the breathing and visualization. I was listening to a podcast, uh, Lewis Howes, I forget the the expert he was interviewing, but he was basically explaining just how how impactful breathing is and even the way you breathe, how that affects your your physiology and, and your heart rate and so forth. So, uh, you know, I was wondering, like, if you could get a little bit detailed into the the breathing and visualization, like what does that usually look like for players? I think you said fifteen minutes. You know, how much of that is the breathing, and the, well, how much of it is visualization, and so forth.
2: So, get into the, the how how the, that training is more specific.
0: Yeah, I just curious. Yeah, how you structure that for for players, or does it change, or is it like pretty set? Uh, you know, some sort of template that people can follow, perhaps.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think. Look, I mean, there's a lot of cool things that with technology, you know, where they do VO2 max training and all this kind of stuff. There's a lot of things that you can do if you have the technology around you. You know, you're a college player and you're at a big university, you know, that you might have access to. Um, I know that where they'll measure those types of things. But from my perspective, what I'm trying to get people to do for 10 to 15 minutes a day is to sit down in a quiet place. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have to learn, they have to learn like deep nasal breathing, you know, breathing through your nose, out through your mouth and and know how to kind of self relax and just go through a process of relaxing, you know, progressive muscle relaxation. Um, and then moving into specific uh, visualizations, which would be in this instance, tactical patterns that they're working on, you know, mm-hmm. and just seeing it over and over and over. You know, there was a, there was a series of videos that came out. This is like 30 years ago called cyber vision. And they had stan smith and chris ever and all these mm-hmm. pros and they would they would video them and they'd hit forehands and back ends and then you just watch it over and over and over you know and that was what they sold that was the that was the um the program and it's kind of like that but it's you that's why i think videotaping yourself doing your tactical patterns for example is really important that's why players have to watch themselves periodically and they don't do it enough where they get you know a camera on the fence or get play site or whatever and actually watch themselves after the fact playing their match and maybe even charting themselves. You know, that just, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen that often, but is it important to the pros do it? Yeah. They, a lot of them do do it and it's very much a part of their training because you want them to see that those tactical things so clearly that they just, it's just second nature, right? It's just in my head. Uh, I, of course I can do that. Cause I've, I've seen it a thousand times, not just done it in practice, but I've seen it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it it you know they they say that there's all this research on myelin you know building myelin and you know myelin is the substance that is part of ingraining new things that you're learning and um you know doing things over and over and over you know you've heard the probably heard the thing, your brain doesn't know the difference between doing something physically and actually or visualizing it right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I think it's just i i don't think for, for my Purposes. If I can get someone doing ten to fifteen minutes of that a day and doing it in a structured way, where they they, you know, they have specific targets or trying to th- see and think. I, I mean, I, I think the results over time are, are really pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, a lot of a lot of great stuff in there. I mean, in regards to visualization, when I interviewed James Blake uh, a little while back, he said that he he basically never felt any nerves um, because he would do a lot of visualization, uh, visualizing himself hitting, uh, you know, playing certain point patterns against his opponent, and as well, I just interviewed Nathan Pasha, who's a uh, uh, highly ranked doubles player and he was mentioning that he he watches all his matches you know all the time um even if there's no uh you know if there's no camera up there like say in a futures tournament he'll put his uh gopro on like an m1 mount i think it is and watch uh and it's it's just a really important visualization and watching your your matches so
2: uh great stuff there Um, i've talked to him before i've actually talked to nathan before um cool when he when he first started playing pro tennis and yeah i mean those are the those are the details i think that can make the difference for players you know but you know you if you get 10 juniors in a room and, I, and even if they're really good juniors and you say how how many of you guys do you know visualization five days a week you're, you're going to get a low number <laughs> very low you very know low. <laughs> very low and a lot of them say how many of you been told that you know 100 times they're going to all raise their hand but they're not going to be doing it you know so it it takes a, a, a discipline I mean, to me, developing the, the, all those habits and and skills are, you know, it needs to happen. Obviously, the younger, the better, right? I mean, mm-hmm. then by the time then the, by the time they turn, they go to college or they turn pro or whatever, it's just part of who they are, you know. And that's where I think um, the junior tennis world is struggling, in my opinion. You know, it's like that. Just there's so many distractions for kids these days; it's insane, you know. And so, getting them to, yeah, lock into those things very yeah. important.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you talk about the power of visualization. I was just listening to uh, a scientific expert and he cited some studies where individuals who they didn't exercise, but yet they visualized themselves like working out like their their calves or something. I think it was their calves and, and they actually made strength gains, you know, which is like incredible. Obviously, they had... Um, other test groups to to make sure that was valid, um, but yeah, uh, pr- pretty amazing, uh, powerful stuff from visualization and, and watching yourself. So the uh, third step, uh, Joey, is the nature of peak performance, and you know, you mentioned that the goal is momentum, and the target is confronting fear. So what's the interplay between the the goal being momentum and the car- target of confronting fear here?
2: So the goal momentum is the feeling that the, the athlete is progressing in just in their skills, you know, in their mm-hmm. game, they're they're progressing. They feel it. Like, and I think that is the lifeblood of an athlete, especially a competitive athlete. They got to feel like, man, I'm progressing, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not always, that's not always reflected by their results because sometimes if they're working on some things that they require a certain amount of change, they're going to have a drop in performance. Mm -hmm. It could be for, and sometimes it's for months, you know, where they're, but they they and their coaches really decide, we really believe this is key. Got to change this, you know? And so, um, the feeling that they're moving forward and fear, you know, and a doubt that comes with fear is what stops us from staying committed to those things or even committing to them. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we we don't commit at all because we're afraid that if if I do these things, I'm going to fall behind. That's, you know, that's like, you know, a lot of junior kids it's like it's it's just so focused on results that they because they're so worried that their ranking's gonna drop you know and you're like you're 15 who cares right (laughs) you're if you want to be a great player when you're 18 19 20 you gotta you gotta pay the price and so but so you know um, overcoming fear of you know, and usually the fear for most players, you know, immediate fear is losing and it's not just losing, but it's also how that's going to look to other people and, you know, how they're going to feel about losing. Mm-hmm. Um, w- one of the players I worked with years ago was Austin Krychek. you know, and he, mm-hmm. um, he was, when I was working with him, he wanted to increase his singles ranking. Austin's always been a really good doubles player, but and and he you know, we worked together a couple of years, and one day I asked him, "What what what are some of the key things that stand out to you from the work we've done together?" And he said, "Well, one, the one thing that stands out is that he said I lose differently in singles now." And I thought, "What an interesting, mm. you know, concept or or um, realization from a player." Um, he he was thinking about the loss differently than as a doubles player than he was a singles player, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm. And he said, I've, i I learned to handle that differently." He got to ninety five in the world. I mean. You know, and that, Impressive. that was, that was great. I mean, and he worked really hard, but I think that um, you have to be able to confront. That's why the worthiness thing comes in again. If your worth is based on, if you, if it's really, really connected to results, it's going to be a rough deal emotionally because you're going to get beat up, you know, especially if you're trying to evolve things in your game. Sometimes you got to do more than other times. I'm not saying you're always making huge changes in your game. I'm not saying that, but especially in the formative, younger years you are you know you are yeah i've got five kids i've got two sons and three daughters and i was saying my youngest son wanted to get into tennis more and he um and, and so he did you know and i've you know for the most part been the primary coach in his life although you know he's he's worked with some other people along the way but 90% of it's been with me and um he just signed to play for UCLA um, oh, congrats. signed a letter of intent to play wow. there yeah so so and in his situation, I've always tried to kinda help him to understand that, you know, don't you, the, the, the more you look at all these, you know, measurements and metrics and things, the more it kind of gets into your head, you know. You you just gotta keep improving the right things and that and that's all you can control. And at the end of the day, um don't get too comfortable like winning right now because if you really want to be a pro tennis player, you gotta be such a beast you know you gotta have so many skills <laughs> yeah that, and you gotta you gotta get at it when you're young you know and so um so i i i try to tell that to everybody i work with you know is that you know especially with juniors who still have some developmental time i mean i think even pros are still developing it's just different you know they're it's more refinements right it's but they still need to be getting better i mean fetter you know he worked for several years at coming in more and I think it really helped him later in his career, you know, mm. shorten the points and his capacity to come in. He worked with Stefan Edberg. He had, you know, years of working on that. And you know, Nadal changed his serve. I mean, you know, joke. I mean, they've all done things right to to show that they're going to improve their games no matter what. Um, but I, I think that's um, that's really important. So,
0: yeah, hundred percent. You
2: know, when it was so. If again, getting back to confronting fear if, if the big fear is losing and, and how that's going to make you feel. And, you know, then you, you have to really kind of start to accept that you're going to lose sometimes. It's, it's, it's okay. I would never go out there in a match thinking you're going to lose, but I'm saying the way you handle it has to be, you have to be seeing that right in your mind, you know, because you're, the, the you're going to play so many matches. It's crazy. Right. And you have to have this kind of mature perspective on how you manage those wins and the losses it's you know at wimbledon over the the center court there's a there's a one-line quote from the the poem if right and it says if you can treat triumph meet with triumph and tragedy and treat those two imposters just the same you know it's kind of like to me it's like saying there's a neutrality you have to find i mean it, you can only just play your game 100 i think that the best the best players always believe they can win Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're hyper focused on it when they're doing it, right? They're just and then they're just playing the match, you know. And do they believe they're capable and they can do it? Absolutely. But are they thinking about that a lot during the match? No.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I mean that that's that's wonderful. You know, it reminds me of um a book I'm reading now called The Practice by Seth Godin. is a great author, and you know, his whole point of his <laughs> book is this. That you know you need to constantly be shipping the work, so you know you 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 can't have this fear of uh, you know what people are going to think or what's going to happen, and it's it's very natural for you know things to not work out in the beginning. So you just what you have to do is you have to figure out the process, you have to keep keep going out there and and you know implementing that process, and then you know you take the feedback, whatever happens, and try to improve, and uh, you know you you can't let the fear of of you know losing or, or having criticism levied at you uh, stop you from from the process so um I really like that step that you have there uh yeah. so 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 Joey I, I know we're on step four here um you have any tips on on step four which is tapping into the power of pressure and you know how we can do that and how we can overcome uh, sorry overcome uh the choke response that a lot of us end up having in pressure situations.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, just to hit a few bullet points on that. I mean, I think one is that players have to learn to work with pressure, you know, rather than try to get away from it. That's a big misconception. A lot of players have is that I don't want to have pressure, you know, and, mm-hmm. but you know, you're, Hey, you're a competitive athlete. I mean, there is inherently pressure. Yeah. And, um and so they have to learn to embrace it. I mean, most, you know, most players do feel some, some nerves and, and some pre-match stress And if they don't feel any of that, that's probably not a good thing, you know? Um, A little bit of pressure is great. It's when they really start to hyper-focus on the outcome or the consequences of what might happen that the pressure can get to a a point where it's really hard for them to manage it, you know? And so in that session, I get into different different skills and different things they can do to learn to essentially accept pressure. And, um, in, in, in some ways kind of become comfortable with it rather than trying to alleviate it, get rid of it, avoid it, et cetera. Cause those things are going to produce, I call it the boomerang effect. I mean, if you're trying to suppress something, it's going to come back later and get you. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. It's, it's just so, like, um, um, oh, go ahead. Sorry.
2: No, I'm done.
0: <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. No, I just brought me back into to meditation where, you know, it's, you're going to have, uh, these outside thoughts that come to you and, uh, it's, it's not a matter of trying to block them out. It's kind of more of accepting them and then just, uh, refocusing, you know, your mind, uh, just letting the thoughts go. Um, so there's some, some parallels there. Yeah. So regarding step five, Joey, uh, you know, the mind of a peak performer is that step. And I, I love, you know, this, uh, this, uh, thought that that you have where it's you say your thoughts don't control you you control your thoughts so uh how can we actually reverse what is is commonly that our, our thoughts are controlling us and instead control our thoughts
2: so in that session you know I'm talking about what I get into a few different things. One is I I help them understand what mindset is, you know, which Mm -hmm. is different from focusing. Focusing to me is more of a singular thing. It's focusing on this specific thing I'm doing. Whereas your mindset is more of the global. It's like the whole picture in your head, you know? So when I'm talking, you know, mindset is, um, it's your preconceived ideas of, you know, for a competitor, like their pre-match mindset would be all their thoughts about what's about to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And they have to learn how to control those thoughts and not let them go off in too many different directions, you know, and they have to know what the right things are to focus on, you know, for for example, before they play during the match also. And then the way they handle it after. But to me, mindset is like the precursor for, I mean, it's, it's the big picture. We always want to be developing the athlete's mindset, which is how they see the whole process, their involvement with it. It's like, it's like, you know, the whole thing versus, um, specific details which would be focusing and so um, hopefully that makes sense but that's why my i i use the word mindset development because if you can get them to improve their overall mindset now they're going to focus better they're going to handle things better they're going to be less reactive they're going to be more calm they're going to be more energized at the right time. they're going to do everything better and it's true it's like that's what that's what i see it over and over again if they can build their mindset and strengthen it there's all these other skills that come along with it that just are kind of packaged in with it. You know, like focusing, you know, people say, focus more. Sometimes you see kids out there and they'll be like, or, or even pros and they'll be like, focus, you know, like yelling at them. So you usually, the more they, the more they yell that, the worse it gets. Right. And I, I think that if your mindset overall is improving, your ability to focus is going to get better. And you're going to be thinking in a more targeted, clear way too. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. No. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. That makes a lot of sense.
2: So, how about the the next step here, which is? Can I just let let me just inter- I I have a thought. I want to interject something. Sure. I think that I think that um, especially as players get better, you know, they're they've already got so much information in their heads from years and years of coaching that you know that, and I've learned this the hard way, Sue, by you know sometimes over coaching. You know, it's like, um what I've found is that it's not, I mean, we can have lots, you know, we we live in the information age, right. Where we're just being inundated with statistics and data and technology and, you know, and, um, and it, it does have a role. I mean, you know, analyzing data and things like that for athletes is I think really important. And, but what happens a lot of these athletes is they just cram their brains with way too much stuff. And, and um, so What I do, what I, what I'm skilled at doing is when I work with an individual is like kind of knowing what's too much, what's too little, like kind of finding the right balance of what this player needs to make the skills pop. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like a, it's like a good technical coach sometimes just saying, you just need to get more topspin on that ball versus saying, you need to get under the ball, you need to drop your hand down, you need to, you know, you need to come up the ball more, you need to, right. Just saying, just get a little more spin on the ball, get a little more lift on it, you know? And and I I think that one of the roadblocks for a lot of athletes is with mental training too is that it's like oh my gosh here's you know it's a whole nother discipline I got to learn and I got all these other things I'm thinking about and I'm going to be thinking 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 you know and um and this is a problem you know because because of so the, the amount of information we have available to us does that make sense
0: Yeah yeah no that makes a ton of sense Joey I appreciate that so I mean. Well, the next step, the performance wave. So, you know, we want to try to ride the wave to our next re- breakthrough. So what, is that, what does that entail? How do we actually like ride the wave instead of, you know, think about, oh, maybe we're going to crash or something like that and have other thoughts? So,
2: so that's a competitive metaphor um, to get people to understand the move, the movements that occur in a live performance. Like just the ups and downs, you know, like tennis is full of momentum. I mean, you know, one set you're you feel like you're on top of the world. The next set, you feel like you're on the bottom of the world. You know, it's just learning to deal with the the different movements that occur like a wave, you know, and I use the analogy, you know, you can if you're a surfer, you can surf on the top of the wave you know, on the bottom. You know, you're you have to learn to position yourself and and handle different positions on that wave to to ride it, you know, and so That's what I'm talking about is like the mental skills to learn to deal with different things that happen in matches where you feel like you're moving up and down a wave.
0: Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Got
2: score. The score is a big one. The score. Players get so attached to the score. It's just, you don't want to do that, you know? Just because you're ahead 4-1 doesn't mean you're going to win the set, right? It could be one break. I mean, that can happen so quickly the other way, right?
0: Yeah, you've always got to keep your mind on executing and, and, and again, the process, you know, rather than thinking about the score. And then that's when you're going to probably, you know, uh, deviate and then bad things will happen. So,
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Definitely, definitely. So with uh, step seven, Joey, where we have, um, you know... We have this, this thought of under the surface, so uncovering what you need uh, to win. So, talk a little bit about that step.
2: Yeah, in many ways, I think it's one of the most interesting steps of the whole process. But because it gets it gets really into the worthiness piece of this, which I touched on earlier. But you know, this this compulsion to prove oneself, you know, and that. Um, but somehow, by competing at a higher level, I'm going to prove, show, demonstrate, you know, to to not only other people maybe to myself that i'm i'm okay you know like i am i'm doing good and is that a distraction that's a huge distraction for most athletes you know um again i think for any athlete when they come off a a really tough match and where they know they had opportunities and they didn't get it to feel upset or just discouraged is normal i think if they came off the court and just and they weren't even worried about it, I'd be like, okay, that's someone who maybe didn't put their heart out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. But does it sink in? Do, do you let it linger? Does it change what you're thinking? Like, oh my gosh, I lost to that person. I, I guess I'm getting worse. You hear kids say that all the time. I'm getting worse. Why, why do you say that? Well, because I've lost the last three tournaments. I mean, I've I haven't had any great results. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm getting worse. And and pros think like that too. Mm-hmm. I, I'm getting I'm getting worse. You know, I'm like, that's a mental mistake. I mean, what do you, you know, what do you mean? You know, that's, you got to analyze and assess and and improve. Yeah. But you start thinking like that, that that's when they're starting to internalize the way they feel their worthiness based on just the result. And it happens so, so quickly and easily sometimes. Yeah. It's so heavy though. Destructive.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you could be improving in it. Maybe you play, you know, three really good players, but you're thinking more about how you lost rather than how you're playing better. Um, you know, it's tough to separate. We live in a results oriented and uh, I want everything quickly type of world. But uh, this is integral. And, you know, obviously, Joey's a great expert to, to help you, uh, you know, learn that concept. So the last step. Uh, is the pre-competition review so you know how do we how do we approach this last step and uh what can we do to to you
2: know complete the last step in this process so i in this one i just talk about the stages of preparing mentally and emotionally for for tournament match play you know and so i i kind of go over rituals and routines i talk about um mentally i call it a mental inventory where you're kind of before the event days, bef- you know, even days before the event, you're kind of inventorying the goals and objectives and what you need to do and any possible roadblocks that you, you know, that you're concerned about and you need to kind of go through these things in your mind, you know, before you're there. And so, yeah, so those are the steps that, you know, that get into kind of like the, you know, the routines of getting ready to compete. And um, I talk a lot about what I was saying was taking a mental inventory, which is looking at what am I confident in? What are the things that I, I got to do with my game? What are, you know, mentally, what are the things that I have to, you know, watch out for and, and keep working on in this competition. And, um, you know, you're, you're evaluating from the previous competition, you know, maybe some things happen and you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little more prepared for those things. And, and you're, you know, so you're, it's like, how am I mentally getting ready for the event? You know, I was talking to a player yesterday, college player who played for a top 20 school. And he was telling me that his team had had eight, four, three matches that they lost in one season, seven oh, or eight. Man. It was yeah and i'm like wow you know i mean at the end of it he said he goes all i remember is we were riding back from the last match where we lost four three and it was just dead silence for like an hour and a half you know <laughs> and the whole team and and um and that's and my response to him was that's where mental skills training done effectively is going to be money for that team huge you know yeah um because they're guaranteed there's stuff happening there there's that is not being caught, you know? And so, you, so preparation for the matches is huge though. It's like having a routine sticking with it, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I'll say to a player, did you do the routine? They'll, they'll call me back with some poor result or something. And I'll say, how did you do with the pre-match stuff that we talked about? And the, the, the likelihood of them saying not great is usually very high when I know that there was, they, when they really underperformed, mm. If they're being if they're being honest, they're gonna usually you'll discover there were some big things that didn't happen, you know. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, it makes sense, uh, Joey. So, uh, you know, I really appreciate the uh, you know going over these eight steps. I think there's a lot of really amazing things that players should should take note of and try to implement. You know, at least you know one one big thing that you learned today. Um, so how? Um, so so with this eight-step process, I mean, you know, what would you suggest, uh, you know, after a listener has listened to us talking today, I mean, what, what do you suggest that they do to take that next step if they're really serious about uh, transforming their mindset?
2: Well, I'll tell you, of, of the, you know, 10,000 different things that we could talk about that deal with mental skills training, the concept of feeling, understanding their own worthiness to me is, is at the core of developing their inner belief in themselves. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I talk to groups, a lot of times I'll say, there's three, there's three aspects of worthiness that I want to talk about. And that is try that I try to teach in my training. And one is that number one is that you understand that in order to become a your inner belief system you know meaning how how much you really believe in yourself you, or essentially feel worthy of success you have to learn to develop that skill okay that inner belief system and number 2 you in order to be worthy you have to work at it you know i mean that your your focus on being targeted in your training specific skills has to be consistent and has to become a priority and it can't be just lip service you know oh i'm going to do this and then it never happens you know and so you have to really be doing the work in order to be worthy. And number three, you cannot let your worth as a person become too connected with the immediate results you're having. And if you can apply those three concepts, you're gonna understand at a pretty deep level how your worthiness can be a real asset and weapon in your game. When I say your worthiness, which is that concept that I'm worthy, I believe in myself and I'm doing the things I need to be doing. And um, I, I have a healthy perspective on you know competing and you know accepting the consequences and i'm ready to go let's go game on you know mm-hmm. i'm ready to compete 100 percent with my game and i'm going to commit to it and so if you can understand how to apply those three concepts of worthiness good things are going to happen over time and so how do you get that information you read my book you you do my online course you 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 book uh, you know a group i'm doing more group zoom trainings right now with with teams, academies, you know, clubs, um, where we have a structured course that the players go through every week, they have assignments and then we do zoom trainings to facilitate and, you know, kind of bring those concepts, you know, more fundamentally clear in their mind. But, um, and then there's individual training as well. And, and it, you know, what I've found I'm not, I always tell players, you have to be willing to put time into this, but if you're consistent with it, the results are going to come. Your yeah. worthiness is a huge, it's, it's at the core of your mental game to make your mental game a weapon. It, they have to be seeing that worthiness correctly or else it's, it's just like the, they're just opening up so many d- different distractions that can affect them. So that's why everything I've done is based on that concept.
0: Uh, awesome stuff, Joey. Really appreciate this. And so, where can people reach you uh, if they want to, you know, get get in touch with you, or, or uh, you know, get into your programs, or uh, follow you on social? Uh, what are the best places for that?
2: Well, I can go to my website, which is WorthyToWin.com, to com, just spelled out, um, and all my contact information is on there. We, you know, the, the, my online training, the link to the online training course is on there. Everything's on there booking, you know, individual group trainings is on there. Um, you know, we, we do some things on social media that's starting, I'm starting to become more involved in that on, you know, Facebook and Instagram and things like that. So, but, you know, I, as far as, you know, directly getting in touch with me, I could say, I think the easiest way is just go to my website and, and the, all the contact information is there. And then you could do the mental IQ test I mentioned. Um, they could go through that because that's a great way to kind of get a first glance at, you know, what, what we might be working on. And that there's no cost to that. Um, I do have my book on Amazon, just worthy to win the title. Um, and um I'm just start I'm just coming out with some podcasts that, that I'm starting to I actually just started this week. Um, it's one of my New Year's resolutions to do some podcasts, so I'll be doing some of that as well. Awesome. It'll be, it'll be posted on my on my social media. So um yeah, that's cool. uh, that's where you can get a hold of me.
0: Very cool. And you, you mentioned your social media. Um what are your uh handles for those
2: um so we're, it's, it's all underworthy to win you okay. know everything's underworthy to win yep
0: got it got it got it very cool so um i'll end it on this question joey um if you could erect a a large billboard in the most highly trafficked street uh you know wh- near where you live uh what what would you put on it what message
2: i love that that's a great question I, I think I, I think I would say you are worthy. Mm. Very
0: very very worthy response. <laughs> awesome awesome. Well, uh, Joey, thanks so much yeah. for coming on to the podcast. Again, everybody should uh, go to worthytowin.com dot uh, com and check out uh, the, you know, worthy to win uh, book as well that Joey has authored. So, um, yeah, I think, I think for everybody out there, you know, commit to improving your mindset and so you can take your game to the next level. It's a big part of, of tennis and of, of life just in general. So by improving that, you're going to improve not just your tennis, but uh, all facets of, uh, your being. So, uh, Joey, thanks again for coming onto the podcast. Really appreciate it. And looking forward to connecting again thanks soon.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Sure, appreciate it. It was enjoyable. Bye
0: bye. All right. I hope you really enjoyed this interview with Joey Johnson. And I hope that you can take away some golden nuggets from this interview with Joey. And I hope that you wrote them down and that you implement uh, at least a couple of them, uh, maybe just one, focus on that. And hopefully, you'll see some great results. And also, uh, check out the show notes for any and every link that we have mentioned on the show today, including. WorthyToWin.com, and we've got a link to the mental IQ test down there as well. I also would really appreciate it if you enjoy the podcast and get a lot of value from it to leave a review, and you can do that at TennisFiles.com slash Apple Podcasts. That would be great, and it would help the show out uh, quite a bit and help it go up the rankings, which would most importantly make it more visible to more people. Uh, more tennis players and coaches and etc. So, would really appreciate a review. That would be great. I also want to leave you with a quote, as I often love to do at the end of the show. And this one is by Joseph Campbell, and Joseph said, "The privilege of a lifetime is being who you are." So, never forget that. And uh, kind of takes us back to the interview where part of performing at your best is really understanding yourself, uh, you know, what makes you tick and uh, what your strengths are as well as your weaknesses and moving forward from there. Very important. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. I've got some fun interviews coming up for you. Oh, also, thanks again to Matt for hooking up this interview. And yeah, we've got a really fun one with Kevin Garlington, who I've had on the Tennis Summit a couple of times. And speaking of which, the Tennis Summit is going to be uh, up and running on April 19th is the start. And I think we'll have a kickoff uh, live stream the day before then. I know I, it's, it's still a little ways away, depending on when you're listening to this, but uh, I'm in preparation mode already. So I'm excited at about 14,000 people attend last year, which was bonkers. And I'm aiming to get more people to come this year. So let's see. All right. Once again, I hope you're all doing well. And please stay safe and try to play tennis and stay fit. And uh, just keep improving every single day. All right. This is Mirban Aranshad signing up.
2: Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game visit TennisFiles.com